Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome uh, to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So today, I want to ask a question. Is God woke? Should God be woke? But I guess really the question, is God woke? Are we all missing out on something, or is God woke? Now that kind of sounds um, a, little, a little crazy, but when we think about what people are saying, is God, you know, what would Jesus do is another saying, you know, when you think about you have a choice to make, you do the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, what would Jesus do in this situation? I gotta say, one of the most difficult things I think for me to comprehend when I was younger, when I thought about God and and Jesus, was that you know Jesus said uh, if somebody wants to uh, smack you in the face, uh, give them the other cheek and let them smack that also. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is that appropriate and proper? Now, of course, religion is not just what it seems. And for those of us who are Christians, we know that the Christian religion is not really choose from, you know, uh, column A and choose from column B. And the way I see it, even further, you know, as a Catholic Christian, is that, yeah, it demands a lot of me. It demands a lot of me, and uh, I have a complete understanding. I'm not going to choose, well, I'll believe these three things and not those three things, and I'll do these three things and not those. And what that ends up being is that I know sometimes I make choices that are not correct, that are not appropriate, that I should make different choices, and I struggle with those. And I think that's part of it. As, as my wife Kathleen would say, uh, that's the wrestle. You're having a wrestle with, with religion because you really should be wrestling. You know, uh, religion doesn't tell you not to ask questions. Uh, there's lessons that are taught and we have to absorb them and take them in and think about them and how do they make you feel what do you think about them you wrestle with these different ideas now one one thing I wrestle with is religion pretty much tells you that the death penalty is not appropriate unless and and this is from a Catholic perspective for those who are not Catholic uh, the Catholic perspective is the death penalty is not appropriate people should go to prison if they're dangerous to others, but the death penalty should only be used if there's nothing else that can stop that person from from hurting other people again. So if someone were to get life without parole and they go to prison, but then in prison they kill three other people, even if they're killing other killers, uh, the reality is you shouldn't kill anybody. So therefore, maybe death penalty would be appropriate uh, in that case. There's the concept of the just war. Right? If you're going to vanquish evil, uh, look at the Bible. I mean, go, go to the, to the uh, Old Testament and, you know, who vanquished who and who wiped out who and, and who had battles with, you know, God saying, you know, uh, you're going you're gonna to wipe out these people. And, you know, it, it's amazing when you read it. It's a, different, uh, it's a different perspective to actually understand and to have that wrestle with what do I personally believe what does my religion teach me, and how do I connect between the two? So this whole idea of uh, me asking, uh, is God woke? I guess that's, would God want 
all of the, this consternation going on now about how people feel about who they are, or should we just accept everybody for whatever it is that they do? Are there standards and rules that we should hold ourselves to? I'm not talking about holding other people to standards. You know, anybody can do that. We can find fault with everybody, can't we? I find fault with you. I think you're wrong. You should do what I do. You should think the way I think. You should believe what I believe. We can all do that. I'm asking us, do you look inward and say, would God look at me and say the things I do, I think, and I believe? Would he say, yeah, those, those are right. You're good. Or would he say, listen, you got to ease up there a little bit. Um, judge not lest you be judged. And that's really hard for us, isn't it? Isn't it hard for us to, to disagree with someone else's lifestyle, their choices, and be judgmental? But how judgmental are we of ourselves? Are we hypocritical? Do we say one thing and do another? How many times do you see people, and I'll even look in, in the religious facility, do you see people preaching the word of God, do the right thing, and then you turn out, the, you find out that they're, uh, they're involved with uh, inappropriate relationships with either parishioners or they're in uh, inappropriate relationships with children. And you say, how can that possibly be? That's not a that's not a woke perspective. It's not. But I, I would wonder, you know, I, I do believe God does see everything. And should should we consider, well, God is woke and therefore we should accept everything that, that's that's going on. Everything should be appropriate and okay. Or would God say, no, not right? Well here's here's kind of what I kind of get the message. Uh, here's how it came out any for me. It's, it's hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, that's a hard one. That's one to wrestle with. How can you do that? Well, it kind of makes sense. Think about if you're a kid. Say you, you, you love your son or your daughter, and they get involved in something that they should not have gotten involved in. Say they get involved in, in selling drugs, all right? Uh, and that's a bad thing. People that sell drugs, that's bad. You shouldn't sell drugs because those drugs can kill other people, addict people, ruin lives, that kind of thing. And your son or daughter was caught and arrested and went to prison. Now, wouldn't you still love your kid even though you hate what they did? That you hated that they were involved with drug dealing, but you still love their kid even if something bad happened. I mean, we see how many times do we see someone accused of something horrific and they still have their family members still love them. They may be disappointed, they may be hurt, they may be confused. They may be a lot of things, but they still love the person. They hate the sin, and they love the sinner. Is that how God sees us when we're being judgmental? And in that way, is God woke? Does God say, hey, listen, you worry about you, and I'll worry about what everybody else is doing? And I say, okay, I can accept that. I can accept that concept, that I should look inward at me and see where I'm wrong, not where other people are wrong. But what about when the things that other people do affect me negatively? Shouldn't I then be in a position to say, hey, that's wrong what you're doing? Well, of course it is if it affects you negatively. If it doesn't affect you negatively, then what do you care? I guess is basically the point I'm trying to make. What do I care what somebody does if it doesn't affect me or my family? If somebody wants to, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, go into alligator riding, because they think that's really a cool thing to do. I want to ride alligators. And I said, gee, you know, that's kind of dangerous and uh, 
this and that and the other thing. Well, unless they have pet alligators running around the backyard where they can get into my yard where my kids and grandchildren are, what the hell do I care if they ride alligators? Well, I don't think it's right that you should ride an alligator. It's not fair to the alligator. Alligators ain't meant to be rid, and, and you're being bad to the animals. Isn't that something we worry about? Don't we worry about the animals? How about the cosmetic industry when they use little baby rabbits and bunnies and all that to test, uh, you know, these uh, different chemicals on them that they use in makeup and this and that. And everybody say, hey, you shouldn't do that to them. And the industry was like, well, we, we need to try this stuff on somebody's eyes to see if it's going to hurt them. So we try it on rabbits because they're just animals. And don't we say, that's wrong, that's wrong. We protest, we stand outside. What about the PETA people? Don't they burn stuff down and, and do all kinds of stuff because they don't like you hurting animals, eating animals? They don't think it's right you eat them? Does that affect you? I guess that's what I'm thinking here. Is, is God woke to all this stuff and I'm not paying attention? Am I being judgmental of what other people are doing? I don't know. I think it's something now I'm, I'm trying to understand and think about and see if I can put it into perspective. Uh, but that's, that's something that came up in the conversation. Is God work? Does, does God, is God okay with all of this woke stuff? Because uh, it's, it's how people are wrestling. They're trying to understand who they are, what they are, what they're all about, what the world is about, how they fit in or don't fit in. And they want the rest of us to be accepting. Um, is that, is that really what it means to be tolerant? I mean, can we be tolerant of other people's choices and things? And I think the older I get, the easier it is to be tolerant because I think I see the world in a different way. But what about tolerance for me? Where's the tolerance for me and what I believe? Where's the tolerance for how I see the world and how I see relationships and how I see um, family and how I see what I see as right and wrong. Where's the tolerance for me? I, I, a lot of times I feel there's not tolerance for my beliefs. I am simply expected to be tolerant of everyone else's beliefs and understandings, but not so much tolerant, a tolerance coming towards me. Do you ever feel like that? And I think that's part of what causes the consternation that we're all going through here. We're all trying to understand this. Um, how can I be tolerant to others and at the same time deal with the fact that people are not tolerant to me? Now, I'm a much more traditional kind of person. Like I said, you've heard me say a thousand times, I don't care who loves who. The more love in the world, the better. But the reality is sometimes people don't respect my choices. And I'm considered uh, wrong or bad because I believe in traditional. I believe in traditional America, red, white, and blue. Uh, opportunity for all. We should all strive really hard to, and rise to, to, the, to the heights that our gifts, our God-given gifts, give us. Uh, I, I believe that each person, the harder they work, they'll get ahead. And I'm told you're a nut. That's wrong. That's terrible. Uh, it's, it's biased because, because you could get ahead. Nobody else can. Where's the respect for me and what I believe? That I believe that patriotism is a good thing. That I believe that loving country and God, even my religion, right? You can pick on very, very few groups anymore except for my religion. You could pick on Christians all day long because, you know, they, the Christian religion expects people to do right and, and follow these rules. And if you follow rules, then you're excluding other people. You're not tolerant of other people. Well, let's ask this question. If somebody wants to have a life of crime where they want to do bad things, isn't that funny how we get a siren to go by just as I said that? Um, 
if, I, if somebody wants to do bad things and live a life of crime and victimize other people, are we to be tolerant of that? Or are we to say, no, that's not right? Well, let's ask, aren't we being more tolerant of crime in our society? Don't we see all over the country we have prosecutors that don't want to prosecute people because historically uh, people were, were, were imprisoned for committing crime. They were treated poorly. There's all these kind of things. Well, it was bias is the reason that we have locked up murderers and drug dealers, not because of their crimes, but because of who they were. Is that really true? Do we lock people up just because of who they were? Or do we lock people up because of the crimes they commit? Right? Should I be tolerant of someone who has a criminal lifestyle? Because that's what they choose to do. Maybe that's all they can do. Maybe they don't have a skill set. Maybe they didn't go to school. Maybe they did spend their life getting high and, and, and jerking around and not working hard and going to school. And that's the life they have. Shouldn't I be tolerant of that? Well, let's go back to what I said in the beginning. I believe being tolerant of other people's choices is perfectly fine as long as it doesn't affect me. So you can be a criminal. You can be a miserable person. You can engage in all kinds of bad stuff as long as you don't spread, bring your crime to me. Then I'm not going to be tolerant of your criminal behavior. Right? So as a society, we're being asked that question now. We see, uh, we see everywhere they're trying to uh, lower prison sentences, uh, lessen the crimes, change the way we view criminal activity. We, in many cities and states, they've said, okay, shoplifting up to $999, uh, we're not even going to come after you. Is that tolerant? Is that fairness to say, well, there's a lot of people that can't afford that $900 worth of stuff and they need it, so they should be able to just go take it from somebody. And, uh, we're, well, and then we go and we're going to arrest that person and put them in jail when they needed things and they went and took it. We've got to be tolerant that these people needed these things. Isn't that a wrestle? Isn't, do you see what I'm talking about? There's so many things to wrestle with. Personally, I think that's not the truth. I think that's wrong. Um, I think people committing crime is wrong. I don't think we, we condone crime. I don't think we make it easy to commit crime because, yes, it hurts the victims, no doubt about it. The people that are, that are losing their $999 worth of merchandise times 50 people that do that, you could put them out of business. They're being hurt. But you know what? The people who are stealing are also being hurt. Lieutenant Joe, how are they being hurt to get $900 worth of stuff for free? And that's a, t that's a wrestle. How are they being hurt? Well, because they're leading a life of crime. They're not leading a good life. And this is where I'm going to draw it back to religion. If you are religious, if you do believe uh, in religious uh, life, if you do believe that there is a world after here, and I do, I absolutely do, the reality is you'll be held to account for the things you do in life, uh, in the afterlife. When you go to meet God, when you're judged, you will be judged on what you did. And continually uh, committing crimes against other people, thou shalt not steal, right? Isn't that a commandment? Thou shalt not. It doesn't say thou shalt not steal unless, of course, you really need something, then go ahead and steal. Yeah, it, right. So th there is right and wrong, and you will be held account, maybe not in this life, but I believe in the next one. So what about the rest of us that turn around and make it easy for people to commit crime? Aren't we contributing to that person's downfall, maybe not here on earth, we're letting them get away with here on earth, they don't go to jail, they're not held accountable, they get free stuff, but aren't we saying uh, it's okay if you commit that crime, we're going to be tolerant of your criminal activities, but then 
there's a later date. Is there is there something more? And I think these are things we need to wrestle with. Now, we often don't think about this. We often don't think about these things. And I know some of it is a little abstract, but I think it makes you think. And that's, that is the essence of growth and uh, gaining wisdom and intellect is to think about something and then run it out as far as it can go in different directions. So that, that's what that question was. Is, is God woke? Does God believe all this stuff that's going on is perfectly okay and we should all just be tolerant of it? Uh, or are we called to hold each other accountable, to hold each other responsible for our actions here on earth and then help people to be better? Shouldn't we send the message early on that stealing is not good? Stealing is bad, right? We should. So I do a, uh, an ethics program. I do an ethics program for, uh, for police officers, public workers, uh, school people, for everybody. Every, everybody needs ethical training, right? We all need to uh, tighten up our ethics to make sure we're doing the right things. So one of the questions I ask, and I'll ask all of you this. So just, you know, take, take a second, put your, put your right hand out and get ready to raise it or not raise it when I ask this question. And I'll be able to tell. I can feel it. I can see you across these airwaves, whether you raise your hand or not. So here's the question. And there's no trick question. It is a question. Is it wrong to steal? That's a simple question. Is it wrong to steal? Well, I would hope that everyone's hand is up. Is it wrong to steal? Yes, it's wrong to steal, right? That's what we would say. It's wrong to steal. What would you teach your kids? Eh, it's okay to steal if nobody catches you, right? It's okay to steal if nobody's looking. Or do we want to teach our children it is wrong to steal? So that's the question. Is it wrong to steal? And I, I can sense the majority of hands are up all across Chasing Justice Land. Now I ask the second question. Is it always wrong to steal? That's the question. The second question. Is it always wrong to steal? Now, I can tell you, I have asked this question at, at programs and, and across lectures many, many times. And I know for the first one, when I said, is it wrong to steal, people raised their hands right away. They all raised their hands. Yes, yes, it's wrong to steal. When I asked the next question, is it always wrong to steal? Now I get some hands will go up. I get, I get hands that will start to go up and come back down. I get people that will be shaking their head thinking about it. And a lot of times what people will say is, well, it depends. It depends. It depends. So the question is... What does it depend on? Uh, if it's wrong to steal, like we all agreed on for the first question, and then you say, is it always wrong to steal? Well, the, the honest answer here and the cut to the chase is that most people will say, when they say it depends, it depends on, on why the person stole. So when we look at things, when I look at actions by people trying to determine uh, whether in an investigation or in a conversation, right or wrong or whatever, the action... Uh, the thing that happened is the how. They stole. That's how, that's how they committed the problem. They stole. The problem that's underlining there is the why. Why did they steal? And that brings us to that second question. Is it always wrong to steal? And people will hem and haw on that. Well, it depends. It depends on, you know, why did someone steal? If they, if they had to have it to feed themselves, you say, okay, all right. If they had to feed themselves or feed their family and they had no choice but to steal. So we all start to waver when we start to add all these little other things into the question, well, if it's to feed your starving children, then it, you know, then it's it's not always wrong. 
And I have to tell you, by all honesty, um, yes, it is always wrong to steal. It's always wrong to steal. Stealing is wrong, and it's always wrong to steal. What we need to add is a third question. Right? We need a third question to help us really look at this clearly. The third question is, is it ever understandable that someone would steal? You see, now, doesn't that change the entire uh, concept of what we're thinking about? Because um, obviously, here I am in Beantown, and somebody stole something because there's cops running everywhere. Here they go. Listen to Boston police. Ooh, there they go. Okay. Um, that's because our studio is on the road today. So let, let's recap this a little bit. The question I asked was, is it wrong to steal? And we agree, yes, it is. When I say, is it always wrong to steal? Many of us would hem and haw and say, well, it kind of depends on, on why the stealing. And I'm going to answer that. It's wrong to steal, and it is always wrong to steal, to take something that does not belong to you, even if you really want it or need it, okay? Even if your kids are starving, it's still wrong to steal food from the store, right? To steal money to pay for the food. Doesn't mean your kids don't deserve to eat, and you shouldn't do everything you can to feed them, but it's always wrong to steal. And the third question, then, is what helps helps us put these two concepts together, the, the I'm not sure and the absolute, it's wrong, is, is it ever understandable that someone would steal? Ah, this is where when we look at this through an ethical perspective, we say to ourselves, is it ever understandable? Well, you can understand. If my children were starving, my, my right and wrong barometer might tell me it's, it's wrong to steal and it's always wrong to steal, but my kids have not eaten. And therefore, I will step over my ethical line and I will steal to feed my kids, and I will justify it in my mind that, well, my kids were starving, and I had to steal. This is usually the way this goes. And when people see that, we realize most of the time we have a bright white line, don't we, that says that it's wrong to steal. And we don't cross that line, and we're ethical, and we do the right thing. But then when you ask a few questions, and then you add some things to the equation, now the line starts to move. The line starts to, to wiggle and go back and forth. And we have to find a way to put it in perspective. So when I ask these questions, is God woke? Is it right or wrong to judge what other people do and say, how they live their lives? Uh, and it comes down to we probably need a couple more questions, right? And that's the whole purpose of me showing you that example of, of someone stealing. And, and what really happens, here's what happens when I teach this to the cops. Here's how it usually works out. I ask the question, is it wrong to steal? Yes. Is it always wrong to steal? I don't know. It depends. Um, is it ever understandable? Yes, yes, it's, it's understandable. And I say, here you are, you're out on patrol, and you get sent to the local uh, Circle K or 7-Eleven or whatever convenience store you have, and you roll up there, and the owner of the store's got a guy by the, by the shirt collar, and he says, hey, this guy's been in here three times this week, and he steals milk and bread, and I'm sick of him stealing from me, and I want him locked up. And the cop, you know, you go and you talk to the guy, and the guy says, hey, officer, you see that, uh, that rundown motel over there? Well, I'm living over there with my wife and my two kids, and uh, I, haven't had, I haven't had a job in, uh, in six months, and everybody's hungry over there, so that's why I stole milk and bread three times. And then I asked the officers, if someone told you that, what would you do? And I got to tell you, every single time there's officers in the audience when I'm teaching them that raise their hand and say, well, I would pay for it. I would pay for it. So here's somebody stealing and you're an officer of the law. Your job is to enforce the law 
And here's a man who's been victimized. Somebody stole from him. And you find out the reason, the why, right? Now, we, we know the how. The guy stole milk and bread, took it off the shelf, tried to run away with it. But we now we find out the why because he's trying to feed his kids. Is it ever understandable? And you say, I would pay for it because that touches a place in my heart. As a human being, I could understand why somebody would do that, and I would try to meteor, uh, mitigate that by saying, hey, listen, uh, I'll pay for the stuff and if you don't want to charge the guy. Almost every single time, cops tell me that. The other thing they tell me is, well, I would talk to the owner and kind of explain to him that, you know, uh, somebody who doesn't have any food to feed their kids might do desperate things, and could they rethink uh, charging people? Either way, here's the black and white uh, law enforcement officers that charge people with crimes who commit crimes. Stealing is a crime. It's always wrong to steal. Uh, and these officers would reach into their own pockets and pay for it and try to mitigate that crime because of the reason. You see? Now, you want to juxtapose that with the next part. Okay, so the next part I say to the officers is, okay, so you pay for the guy's milk and bread. You counsel him uh, and advise him, uh, you know, here's where you can go get free milk and bread and you get, you get social services and you can take care of your family. Don't, cry, don't do crime anymore. Don't steal. And you drive away from that and you feel better and the person feels better and, you know, everybody's good. Now you get sent to the local liquor store and you roll up on the local liquor store and you go in there and there's uh, the owner and he's got uh, Bob the Rum Dum who's got five DWIs, uh, has to drive his bike everywhere. He's a stone alcoholic, and he was stealing a bottle of Jack Daniels, and the owner caught him. And the owner says, hey, this guy's been in here three times this week stealing Jack Daniels. I want him locked up. And I say to the officers, what about this guy? He's got a problem. He's an alcoholic. He can't help himself. He needs alcohol uh, really badly. Uh, what are you going to do? Who's going to pay for his alcohol? And instead of getting hands that go up, I get officers that would, you know, kind of like, well, uh, no, uh, I'm not paying for his alcohol. Uh, that's totally different than someone who's stealing milk and bread to feed their kids. And I said, but doesn't this person have a problem too? Doesn't the alcoholic have a bad problem too? Aren't they struggling too? Aren't they wrestling? Uh, and they made a choice to steal, to feed their alcoholism. And they say, yeah, but they brought it on themselves. And I say, oh, so we can judge between one person doing the wrong thing and another person based on the why. Do you see how this all knits together? So when we look at things, we say, is God woke? Does God want us to not judge any of these things that are going on now? Or does God expect us to do what's right and counsel our brothers and sisters uh, not, not, not berate them, not put them down, not, not talk about them? Or are we supposed to counsel them and give them the benefit of our wisdom and say, well, this is why I think this is wrong. This is what I think you should do. In essence, should we reach in our pockets and try and mitigate their situation, even if they don't want us to? Now, I'm not calling a judgment on anything that people do. I'm asking you the question, where are we here? What does God want us to do? Have you ever thought about it? You know, as we're all, you know, that's wrong. I hate that. That shouldn't be like that. Or should we take a stand on what we believe is right and say, no, that's wrong. We shouldn't do it. So there's some questions for everybody. There's some questions to get us started. All right, I want to tell you, uh, this is Lieutenant Joe here, and we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? 
I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe. Air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R dot com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, and welcome back here to Chasing Justice. So that was, I, I thought that was interesting uh, opening there for our our episode today is considering, you know, is God woke? Uh, would God want us to accept all the woke things? Or would God want us to assess those things and determine if they're good or bad? So one of the things I assess is my health. And my health has been very good. Now, recently, uh, I was in uh, Boston. I went there for work, and uh, as I told you, and it was interesting. I was there for, I don't know, a little over a week, and I started to feel um, like a like a headachey, sinusy thing starting when I was driving up there. And I said, "Oh boy, here we go." Um, I hope this doesn't affect my week because I had to be outside and it was cold. You know, Boston's still cold. The sun was out though; it was very nice, but it's still cold. And I said, okay, le, let me uh, let me take my healthy cell immune boost again, right? I take it every day, at least when I remember. I keep it right here by my desk, so I try to remember to take it. So I took my healthy cell. I went through my day. Eh, you know, I, I could feel it. I said, oh, when I wake up tomorrow, usually when you wake up in the morning, anybody who has sinus problems knows when you wake up in the morning, that's when you usually feel it. Well, I woke up the next day and clear as a bell, like, uh, like it never happened. So I can only attribute that to the immune boost, which really has my immune system uh, rocking pretty hard. So something jumps in and it gets knocked out right away. So if you're looking to stay healthy, uh, take a look at Healthy Cell and their immune boost. It's uh, it's on the network here. You can find it easily. It actually works really, really well. All right. So that being said, so what, 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 what comes along uh, with Chasing Justice is understanding, you know, what else goes on out in the world. So 
especially like in law enforcement and emergency services. And we've had we've had some terrible incidents recently, haven't we? Uh, we've had several officers uh, shot in uh, in Tampa, Florida. We've had uh, a young officer killed in Chicago, which is absolutely tragic. Uh, and there have been other terrible incidents that my brother and sisters are enduring uh, out in the world. And one of the things is we can find people who are in crisis. People who are in crisis have um, great difficulty sometimes dealing with the world. So I wanted to talk a little bit about crisis intervention today, uh, just to give us some ideas of, of how to work crisis intervention, what's involved with it. Uh, it's something that I do. I'm FBI trained hostage crisis negotiator. I've been doing that for I don't know, over 18, 19 years now when I first got trained. And I found that it had application not just to uh, hostage situations when somebody's being held hostage, but when people are in crisis. And that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to, you know, take some time and, and talk about that a little bit. You know, the, uh, the first half of our program was looking at our world and trying to understand that. And, and this, this part of the show, I think I want to talk a little bit about crisis. So one of the things that I found is that you can come across somebody in crisis anywhere in your life and understanding the basics of what makes for crisis intervention is understanding the psychology of what somebody in crisis is going through, right? So you have to understand, I, I think of it, um, is that, cause you never know, you could be on a bus, you could be on a train and somebody starts to go off and then what do you do? How do you deal with that person if you have to? Right? And what do we say all the time? Uh, probably sometimes the best thing you can do is maybe avoid a person in crisis. But sometimes you can't avoid them. And that's the reality. So one of the things I did uh, when I went to uh, a large school district as the director of school safety and security, I got there and realized that there are many more people that get upset in, in school, not just students and, and sometimes staff members, but like parents and guardians and people that come to the school, you know, they got all kinds of concerns. Look, look at what's going on now with the schools, with uh, all the arguing over the uh, over the school board and what books are in the school and what we should and shouldn't be uh, teaching children. This has people really, really upset, and uh, I can imagine that there, there's more of that activity going on. So I was just at a a large district, and one of the things I brought up was this program I created called Crisis in the Classroom. Now, this is exactly what it sounds like. It's about dealing with someone in a school who is uh, in a crisis. And that can be a violent crisis. That can be an upset crisis or whatever. And how to deal with it. So that's why this part of the show, we're going to talk about crisis and how we can handle it, whether it's law enforcement or, or school people or whatever. The, the whole idea is that understanding you know, what to say and what not to say is really the important thing. So the crises that I've been involved with, um, there was one very, and what normally happens is you get called to the scene after it's been going on for a while, and then you have to undo sometimes the things that were done wrong, uh, maybe were said improperly or whatever, by whoever was there, uh, whoever the person first talking to them is, and you have to undo that first, and that, that's a sometimes delicate process, and how do you go about it? So teaching the schools this program, um, I had a, a call from a very large uh, retailer, a company that sells things retail, massive company, and they wanted a threat assessment uh, for their offices in New York. And while I was talking to them, they're like, you know, we, we've had people come in who were really upset. And one, one guy was screaming, Hollywood, ran through the offices, was threatening people. 
and uh, we weren't sure exactly how to deal with that. I said, well, you could use some crisis intervention training. Right? It's to calm someone down. It's to, um, to stop the person from boiling over and getting to the point of violence. So they said, oh, we'd love to have that. And uh, I, I presented that to them. It was interesting. I got a call, I don't know, maybe a year later. And the, uh, the woman who was the office manager, she said, hey, we had, uh, we had two people here uh, in the last couple of weeks that were just lost their mind. One was an ex-employee who came in um, screaming and hollering about he didn't like the benefits he got when he left or whatever, whatever his problem was. She goes, and I used those techniques and I calmed them down and I couldn't believe uh, it, it really works. And I could tell you it really does. Crisis uh, intervention absolutely does work. It can help people. So we want to make sure that we uh, learn what we can. So that's, that's the real purpose for today uh, is to bring that up. So I, I had one, one crisis I went to. I, I could tell you a quick story. It was, it was difficult. There was a, a police officer, and this person had said they were going to kill themselves and ran into their garage and closed the door and wouldn't open the door. And I got sent, hey, could you go over there? Could you go help this officer out and see what you can do? <laughs> So I go over there, and I see she's standing in front of the garage door, and she's talking to the garage door. So when you first rolled up, it looked like she was crazy because uh, I didn't know exactly where the person was. I knew that they were, uh, they were barricaded. They refused to come out, but I didn't know that the person was in the garage. And here's the officer. At first, you know, just when you see someone talking and they're, they're speaking, I said, oh, maybe she's on the radio talking to headquarters, but I'm not hearing it on my radio. And then just when I looked at it, I said, actually, I think, She's talking to somebody, either that or she's crazy. And when I up and of course she was talking to the to the man inside the garage, and that officer actually did a very good job naturally, without really knowing uh, the techniques or the skill set. What she did was she managed to talk about things other than what his problem was, and that actually started to calm him down, uh, and that made my way in easier. I've had other instances when I've shown up, and we've had officers, supervisors, or whatever screaming at the person. You better come out here. You're going to go to jail. You're going to go to jail. And uh, would you come out if somebody said that to you? Well, I wouldn't. So that's that's what we're going to do this half. So sit back and relax. And here we go. We're going to learn about crisis intervention a little bit. Now, we are seeing what I have called uh, a, a outrageous amount of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. This is going on in our country because of the pandemic. We are seeing people affected by this to very small amounts, minuscule reactions to this PTSD. And then we're seeing people who are really pushed to their mental limits because of this PTSD, because of these lockdowns and the way things are going. So how are we supposed to deal with, how do we identify it? What do we look at? Well, one of the things I talk about as a a trained uh, hostage crisis negotiator, one of the things we learn is how to recognize people in crisis. That's one of the first things we have to do. Is this person in crisis or is this person just having a bad day? There's a big difference between having a bad day and someone who's actually in a crisis and someone who's in a crisis and could potentially be dangerous. So I think one of the first distinctions we have to make is that if someone is in crisis, that does not necessarily mean they are dangerous to everyone around them. They could be dangerous to themselves. They could be uh, so distraught or so upset that they decide to turn their violence inward, and this is where we will see suicide. People will attack themselves. They'll hurt themselves. We see sometimes in younger people, we see uh, self-mutilation, cutting, 
You know, people cut themselves repeatedly. This is a this is an inward attack on the person because they're in crisis. They're having some kind of problem go on. So we have to determine first of all: is it is it a bad day or is it crisis? If it is crisis, is it a danger to everyone around the person or is it a danger just to the person? Or, uh, as in the case of an active shooter, when these people have a problem and go off, very often they are suicidal. They attack and they kill innocent people or people they have a grudge against, uh, and then they turn the violence on themselves and kill themselves. This creates uh, this, this no-win scenario for everyone. So if you are put, put in that position, now it doesn't matter uh, who you are, because I say, I say all the time, anyone can find themselves uh, in the position of having to deal with a person in crisis. What is it we do about that? You know, it's not always what we say, it's sometimes how we say it. It's not always what we say or how we say it. Sometimes it's the words we use. So I think one of the, the next things we have to determine is to try and understand uh, what we have in front of us and how to see past our own perceptions. If you think about that for a second. When someone sees the world only through their own eyes, this is where you'll see, um, no matter no matter what else is going on, people see the world through what they see as normal, as what they see as appropriate, as what they see as the way things should be. So if you've ever been in an argument with someone and it starts to get heated and the argument starts to get loud and people are getting upset, have you ever seen somebody say something like, hey, just calm down, right? Now, when me and Mrs. Lieutenant Joe are having an argument, and I got to tell you, normal, it's because of something that I've done. I'll, I'll freely admit that. Uh, it's something I've done or said, or I was, I was uh, not thinking uh, do much, and I said or did something. So there you go. I've also learned to just apologize right away. I'm just saying it's easier that way sometimes. But the reality is, if if I only see the world based on my opinion, if I'm not seeing, and in this example, if I'm not seeing that Miss Kathy, uh, my wife, is upset about something, something that I have said or done, or even if it's not something I've said or done, it's about something else, I just see in her reactions and her behaviors that she is upset, and I'm not taking a moment to think about why could she possibly upset? What is this all about? Sometimes I'm just busy. Sometimes I'm just not in the mood to deal with it. That's just the reality. But she's upset, and then I will turn around and say something back, something like, would you just calm down? Now I'm going to ask you from your own personal life experience. Have you ever been involved with someone and having an argument and when you say to them, calm down, does that normally work? Does that does that usually make them go, gee, you know you're right. I'm really upset. I'm angry. I'm, I'm voicing my opinion here. Uh, you know, thanks for telling me uh, I should just calm down. And now I will. Is that Does that ever really work? No, it doesn't really work. As a matter of fact, it has the opposite effect in many instances. Telling someone to calm down when they're, when they're that upset, can be a trigger event, okay? So as we go through all these things, we have to understand these, these different processes, right? So a trigger event, just like uh, when, I, when I teach the class live, I say to myself, I say to the class, what is a trigger and what does a trigger do on a gun? Right? And I'll look around and people say, well, you pull the trigger and the gun shoots. Yes, so the trigger, when you pull the trigger, it has the gun, the gun, the effect is that the gun then functions and fires the bullet right? So a trigger in an emotional event is the thing that, that happened that set the person off. Now they could be on edge for a very long time. 
without going off, right? Without the gun firing. You can have a loaded gun and carry it around all the time. It never goes off until you pull that trigger or until the trigger is pulled either by accident or, or some other means. So the reality is that an emotional trigger can be anything that happens to somebody, all right? Anything that happens to somebody that sets them off. Uh, it can certainly be uh, if someone is in this pandemic and they find themselves very, very upset uh, just about in general. Maybe, maybe they don't know why they're just feeling uh, upset. There's a thing called languishing, all right? If you don't know what this is, this is, uh, this is a term that's being used now to describe uh, what it's feeling like to be stuck in this pandemic for over a year now. It's called languishing, where you feel like you, you, you're, you're just you're walking through mud. Very, everything is very slow. There's no particular thing that's got you that upset. It's just a matter of you're slow walking everything. People are losing their energy. They're losing their, their interest in things, where it's just because the world is shut down. You know, there's so many decisions to make here. You know, we're get, are we getting truths? Are we not getting truths about the the, uh, the the virus? Are we getting truths or not truths about the vaccine? You know, is it really good for you? Is it not good for you? Is it healthy, unhealthy? Will it stop the pandemic? Won't stop the pandemic? You know, we, we have all this information going on. And then there's the, the fear factor that what's going to happen next. And this is why I'm saying this, this affects people to different levels, in their lives. Some people don't, don't, don't get affected by it too much at all. They're pretty much just moving along. They have good coping mechanisms. Maybe they don't have a lot of fear about catching a virus and dying. And then other people, seemingly people who should not be concerned about that, young people, young healthy people, may be consumed with the idea that if they catch the virus, they're going to die and they don't want to die. So therefore, they're, they're on edge all the time. So these are, the, these are the different kind of factors we need to think about. So someone, when you first notice that someone is a little bit off, right? We have to look at things from a different perspective, not from our perspective, where we say, hey, it's no big deal. This, the, the COVID, yeah, it's bad if you get it and you have comorbidities. But other than that, you're okay. We got to understand not everyone sees it that way. Now, I'm not talking specifics about the COVID, but I'm using that as an example where someone who can be trapped in this pandemic for the last over a year now, uh, they're feeling this languishing feeling that they just, they, they, they're moving through concrete, you know, and they're upset. Maybe they're scared. Maybe, maybe someone in their family did get it. Maybe, maybe they had a very hard time with it and they have lingering effects, whatever it is. They're, they're upset over this entire thing. And now, all of a sudden, there's another emotional trigger. Maybe because they're stuck at home, we know that the incidents of domestic violence have gone up immeasurably in this pandemic because people are stuck home all the time, right? These tensions, this languishing, this concern, even whether it's if it's very pronounced or not, is on everyone's mind. We're all dealing with it. What if there's a loss of money? Maybe, maybe sure, maybe you're getting your unemployment check, but it's not enough to live the lifestyle you were living. You know, how do you continue on? All these kind of stresses build up on people. Uh, add to that domestic violence or add to that some other kind of uh, personal stressor. And that can lead someone to get pushed over the edge. Now, add alcohol and drugs and the, the, the lowering of inhibitions that alcohol and drugs can also add to the situation. This is the powder keg 
that we could find ourselves in. So when I teach this kind of thing, dealing with people in crisis, the term out there now is de-escalation. That's big in the police world, de-escalation training. But really, it should be big for everybody because that's what we really need to do, right? We need to de-escalate someone's crisis or to help them de-escalate themselves so that they don't erupt in violence. All right, so let's review for a second. One of the things we said we have to understand right off the bat, is it a crisis or a bad day? So that's one of our first uh, hallmark decisions we have to make. So if you have a person who's acting in a way agitated, loud, argumentative, or maybe very, very quiet and depressed. Maybe they're writing things, right? And sometimes in younger people, they write these things down. They make hit lists. They, they certainly turn, turn to, to violent things in other ways. So if you see a strange change in somebody's personality, that can be an indicator that someone is having some kind of a personal crisis. Right? So that's your first step. Gee, is this person just having a bad day or a crisis? I have to look at it now from their perspective, not my perspective. I may think it's no big deal what's going on, but to them, maybe it is a big deal. So how we talk to people, the questions that we ask can make a difference. So open-ended questions are usually the best way to elicit information from anyone. When I teach about interview and interrogation techniques, one of the things I talk about is open-ended questions helps to solicit information from a person, to draw them out, as opposed to a pointed question. Gee, are you all upset over the COVID? Now, that's a pointed question. Now, to the person who's having a very bad day or they're in crisis, they might not be worrying so much about the COVID, though that may be a contributing factor. They may be upset about the lockdowns and the fact that they can't go to work. Or maybe they lost their job and they're afraid they're not going to get it back. That is what's bothering them. And I asked them a question about the COVID. And in their mind, it's not necessarily the COVID. It's, the, it's what happened because of the COVID, which has led them to this position of being so upset. So an open-ended question, something like, hey, you seem really upset today. Is something bothering you? Right Now that allows that person the freedom to answer and to say, you know, Dude, what am I going to do? I, I, I lost my job, you know, but, but etc. Oh, now, see, and the key to this, and I know I'm going quick with all this. That's why you should always take my courses. Right? You should take my courses so you understand these things. Um, the key to this is to understand that if you think of a red balloon, and a red balloon is the person and the things that are affecting them. And when the red balloon is blown up just a little bit, it's okay. It's it's strong. It's pliable. It's you know it is what it is. But you keep blowing air into that balloon, and that balloon expands and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? We start to see that the the balloon starts to starts to stretch, and we know at some point it's going to stretch beyond its ability to to maintain its form, and it's going to pop. And when that balloon pops. That's a violent event. Well, when we look at people, if we think of people like that red balloon, as they start to, as the crisis starts to expand around them, as they start to deal with this and feel this, it's like that red balloon expanding and expanding. When you notice that and you see that, uh, what you might want to try and do, especially if you're stuck in a position to have to deal with that person, say you're on a bus, in a mall, in a movie theater, you're a police officer and you're having to deal with someone on a call. Right? You're at home with a family member who's starting to go off or a neighbor. 
and you start to see that balloon expanding, you want to try and de-escalate them, vent that balloon down so it doesn't pop, so there is no violence, right? And that's really the idea. So we do that by using the right words, open-ended sentences. Hey, how are you? Right? Another thing that we can do, another tactic, is that we can do what's called emotionally label what people are doing. Right? So when you hear somebody, the whole idea of emotionally labeling is that human beings have a tendency that when they're upset, if they hear uh, their emotion spoken to them, if they hear the word you know, happy, sad, mad, glad, and they're feeling that emotion, they'll respond to it. So if you say to somebody, boy, you seem really upset today, they will often respond back to you. I am upset today. You know, what about this, that, that, that? Now, every time they do that, even if it comes out uh, fast-paced and, and intense and angry, every time they're talking, all right, talking equals life. That's what we talk about in this thing. Talking equals life. If people are talking, they're not erupting in violence. You are helping them to vent the balloon, right? You're helping them to come down in their stress level by allowing them to vent themselves. What lots of people will say uh, is that when they're in crisis, when they're upset, it's because no one is actually listening to them. One of the biggest truths about human beings and communication is that we do not always listen to understand the other person. We listen to respond to the other person. So if you and I are talking about sports, and we're and I like the Mets and you like the, uh, the Cleveland Indians, we're going round and round. Now we get into a conflict over which is a better team. We're going to stop talking about the fundamentals of baseball, the fun of going to the stadium, the smell of the green grass, the hot dog and the beer. Now we're going to start talking about who's a better player. And you start to say, well, Johnson has got a home run. No, he doesn't. And you respond. But now you're not listening to, uh, to understand what the other person's saying. You're listening to respond. So when we do that, when we use the wrong words, when we say things from our point of view that doesn't help the person in crisis to vent whatever's bothering them, uh, all we're doing is, is listening to respond, and that can amp someone up. That increases what's in the balloon, right? You get that idea? So open-ended questions, and then use emotional labeling. That means when you hear an emotion, you repeat it back to the person. So you might say, man, you sound really mad. You sound really sad. Boy, you sound really upset. You sound really hurt, right? And the people will respond usually, hurt. I am hurt. Can you believe that I'm home trying to do the best I can and, and my wife doesn't understand how hard it is not to have a job or whatever, whatever the circumstance is, right? And then you hear a tone change when that person expresses that. And you know, and I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage, you know? Boy, you sound really sad that you can have a problem in your marriage. Sad, we've been together 20 years, I love her, but you know what, we can't live like this anymore, right? You sound really frustrated. So you just chase the emotion around. This could take 15 minutes or this could take two hours. Uh, it doesn't depend, there's no, there's no rule on this. But each time you do that, you emotionally label something, um, it helps the person to respond and it helps them to vent some of that anger or upsetness or say whatever they have and that lowers the tension and at some point when person is in crisis if you're doing it properly you're asking open-ended questions you're emotionally labeling um you are you are trying to help them see it a different way you're not judging you're just helping them to vent at some point that balloon gets down to the point where it's almost normal and no matter what they've done up to that point even if they've done something bad hit somebody taking somebody into a room, smashed things, made threats, had a weapon, whatever. At some point when they calm back down, all right, when they calm back down, when the balloon is back down to normal because they've vented enough, 
Now their perspective will change and that crisis often will dissipate. Now their concern comes to consequences for what they did. Right. So say you, 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 you punch somebody in the face and you're in this crisis and you, you won't let anybody leave a room right at the office at work. Uh, it happens. Right. What are you going to do? Uh, and you're angry. And it's just like being angry in a, in a real argument when you get yourself all worked up. You know, at some point when you calm down, you start to look around and go, uh oh, what did I do? Right. When you gain you gain control of yourselves, even an argument with a, with a loved one or, or uh, someone else, you start to realize Geez, what did I do here? Now what's going to happen? Well, when they get to that point, now what's going to happen? That can also be a trigger point because now they can turn that violence inward on themselves and maybe commit suicide because they realize they've done something bad. Or if you've created that little bit of a relationship with them where they see you as a lifeline, that's maybe where you can reach out and help. Hey, listen, what can I do to help you? Do you want to go to the hospital and talk to somebody? Do you want to go talk to the doctor? You know, do you do you want a glass of water? Whatever it is to help them to calm down. Do you need somebody to, do you want me to help? Are you injured? Do you want me to help clean that up? Whatever it is. There's that moment that that crisis comes back down. The balloon comes back down and there's clarity now. And now the consequences are the concern. And you can help them through that, get them the help they need. Whether that's calling for help. Maybe the police come at that point or you take them to the hospital. Whatever it is. Or you are the police, you take them off to the hospital. So the whole idea with a crisis is to recognize what's going on and then respond appropriately to the person. Don't, uh, don't just be uh, going crazy with them. Make sure you do the right thing, okay? 